This is a podcast by The Straits Times. Welcome to A Game of Two Halves, a sports podcast by The Straits Times. I'm Jonathan Roberts, and I'm joined by SD Sports' Wang Meng Meng and Nicole Chia. Hello. 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 Right, now, 2018 is splitting to a valiant finish, and having gone through many hurls, let's look at the best and worst sporting moments of 2018. Meng, give me your, one of your best. I think um, maybe let's start with some current affairs. As everyone's talking about Jose Mourinho. Are they? What's happened to him? Oh, <laughs> um, I mean, how the mighty has fallen, no? And well, plummeted. I would say fallen. It's a plummet. Tailspin, you know, free falling. <laughs> uh, any other adjectives? Um, yeah, but kaput. Mm. So it's you know, a spectacular way for a star to die, you know. Yeah. So you just got to wonder what's next for him. You no, know? is is it is he going down to non-league or <laughs> Real Madrid or I mean, who knows? But I mean, but I was thinking national. It may, it may get a national team to yeah, look after. The, the Singapore job is available. Yeah, It is, it is. And they're looking at six foreign coaches, so he could be one of them. <laughs> Perhaps that's why he got sacked. So, um, yeah, we could use some parking of the bus here. Just joking. but Yeah, so um, for Mourinho, you okay, let's flash back to the year 2010. Um, I mean, um, he was the hottest manager then. Uh, let's, and let's zoom in on this particular game. The Champions League semi-final against... Uh, he was the manager of Inter Milan then and he was playing against Guardiola's Barcelona and he knocked them out in the semi-finals with just 30% possession. I mean, doesn't look good statistically on paper but, you know, uh, on, out on the field, he denied them space and with that 30%, he made full use of the ball and, you know, and they scored from their limited chances. But now let's look at what happened uh, in 2018. I'll give you a very good example. When they lost to Manchester City in the derby, um, David Silva took 12 minutes to open the scoring and in the 12 minutes Man City had 96 passes and United had just 5 wow yeah and now not only does he have no possession <laughs> you know um, he, he's not using much of the ball I mean he can't make use of the ball either so what does that tell you you know but it's not just about the tactics it's about his attitude as well I mean yeah. after the Liverpool match mm. the one that fatefully well sealed his fate yeah. uh he gave a quote, you know, throwing shade on your own team, basically telling, well, yeah, they're you, not good you, enough. You, you can read it in, from the body language of the players. You know, they don't look that fired up. They they just simply were not up for it. They were not up for a fight against Liverpool. Liverpool looked like you know, they would die for Klopp, you know, but United were just. You know. But it's so different, isn't it, from the from his Chelsea days? Yeah, I mean, you know, Terry Lampard and all those other guys. Yeah. I mean, they still talk about him in adulation terms. Mm. Um, yeah, and it, that's why it's sad. No? Uh, that's why I say it. No? It's the spectac- spectacular death of a star. No? When he first started out, he was probably no, the heir apparent to Ferguson. You know, he could extract the best out of good players and extract the best out of ordinary players. No? He won the Champions League with Porto, which I don't think can ever be done again. And he did the same with Inter Milan no? against uh, Pep Guardiola's Barcelona. No? And um, and during his earlier spells, you know, the players all were willing to run to the ground for him. But it's just not the case anymore at Real Madrid and at United. Mm. Well, it's a shadow of his former self. Uh, and his game is getting old you know, because in the past he had the results you know, to to back up all his bad behavior. You know, like mm. uh, poking rival coaches in the eye. You know, or you know accusing referees. You know, or you know uh, playing mind games with other managers. But 
uh, now it's getting old. He's run out of people to blame and it's sounding like a broken record. So just briefly, what do you think of his replacement, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer? I think it all depends on how the United board backs him up in the January transfer window next month. So uh, there's no point appointing him if, if he's not going to make any reinforcements. Obviously, I mean, the team uh, needs some patching up here and there. Yeah, I mean, Liverpool fans uh, you know, are mourning now because uh, Mourinho is probably more popular than Klopp. <laughs> yeah, but uh, but life has to go on. And the, the big worry now is uh, United do find the right manager after all these years. Huh? Nicole, what is one of, yours, uh, one of your highlights? Well, nothing as recent as Mourinho's sacking, but this stands out to me. It's Simona Halep's victory at Roland Garros because it marked the winning of her first Grand Slam title and you know as as a tennis fan someone who has watched how she tried three times before and you know fell short losing in three setters each time it, this it's just hard not to feel for her because her first one you could understand it was a three set match against Maria Sharapova in the 2014 French Open final the second one she was up a set and a break you know higher ranked than Yelena Ostapenko but she faltered and at the end of that match she admitted you know she was sick to her stomach and maybe she wasn't ready to win it and you know like I said earlier it's just hard not to feel for someone who is so honest and unabashed about admitting her anguish and you know the pain of falling short. This is one of the great things about sport though isn't it I mean and this is indeed one of those great sporting moments that you know it's not someone who comes in and they're at the top straight away and they just you know demolish all before them this is a trier. Yeah yeah, you, that's one thing you, you can't deny about Simona Halep. She's a trier. She she never gave up. And even you know even though she withdrew from the WTA finals in Singapore because of her injury, she did come to Singapore and gave an interview. And she said she never stopped believing that she could win that, that first Grand Slam title. Now, in all honesty, do you think this success is going to continue or is this the peak? No, it's, it's not the peak. I think her success is going to continue because the eve of this year's Roland Garros final, you know, she was asked about last year and all her previous attempts and she said well I, I didn't win a slam and no one died so I think I'm fine and I think that really shows that she's really you know figured out how to calm herself down manage herself mentally to to stay at the top okay man what's number two on the list for you I will go for the Lions. I mean, um, it's really a game of two halves for the Lions. Uh, so the first half was awful. No disrespect to Sundram, but I mean, the results simply weren't there. And not only were the results weren't there, um, the performances were dire. Like the, the team wasn't playing attacking football and um, it's just quite painful to watch. And then along came Fundy and things change so much. Although, in the end, we didn't do that well in the Suzuki Cup, uh, but I would still call it uh, a successful failure if, if there's such, ever such a word. Um, I think what was great was the positivity you know, that radiated from Fundy, you know, even though you know, uh, the odds were really against us. Um, but he never stopped believing, I mean, on record anyway. Um, and that really translated in the way into the way we played. The, the players uh, never never gave up. They, they kept running and running, even though like we were 3-0 down against Thailand, but they just kept running at the ties. So, and it was a visibly different team. Yes, with the same set of, almost the same set of players, but uh, with a different mindset, different belief. Um, it was really, uh, I mean, as... The local football writer, I mean, I was really happy to see that you know, the team trying very hard, 
because having watched them earlier in the year, it was really, 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 really disappointing. Yeah. Well, hopefully when Mourinho or whoever they get in, they continue with that. And it's not just um, with the team, but um, what I found impressive with Fani was how he rallied everybody around him, uh, the association, the fans, the media, you know, and uh, he had a lot of time with the fans uh, he, and he's always giving very positive sound bikes. And with the media, he, he had time for us uh, during press cons and outside of press con, he engaged us offline, you know, and when we travel with the team, he made sure there's transport for us and um, oh. really nobody gets left behind. And, um, and that... Every little thing adds, adds up to, you know, this um, fantastic thing. He's the host with the most. Yeah. Okay, mm. cool. Nicole, what's your number two? My number two is something local as well. It's the young swimmers announcing their arrival at the Asian Games. So, you know, in swimming, the biggest name is, of course, Joseph Schooling, our Olympic champion. I've heard of him, yes. Yes, you have? Oh, that's great. Okay, so, I mean, at the Asian Games, you had young swimmers anchoring their respective relays to good results. Jonathan Tan for the men, anchoring them to bronze. Shirley Yo, 16 years old also, you know, anchoring the girls' team to a new national record. So, and the fact that for some of them, this was their first major games just shows how fearless they are and how unafraid they are of handling the pressure of being the final relay swimmer. And it's not just the two of them. You have young swimmers who also set national records like Gan Ching Hui and Glenn Lim. You know, so I think this is a good sign that we have the depth in the swimming team and the Asian Games show that. Jonathan Tan was saying that, you know, he remembers watching Danny Yeo win the SEA Games uh, title in 2011 and now they're racing on the same team. So that kind of, you know, has an effect in racing with your heroes from watching them on TV, seeing them in the news to standing on the platform with them and diving in after them. That has to help. I think it shows to the public as well that it is not just all about Joseph schooling and that it's there is... As you say, there's depth in that team and that Singapore swimming has more, even more to offer. Building a legacy, as it were. Yeah, yeah. a pool of talent, if you will. A pool of talent. <laughs> there's the pun of the day. Okay, <laughs> Meng, number three for you. Um, the World Cup. My first World Cup was 1982. Uh, fantastic World Cup. The 86 was great as well. Then we went through quite a few bad ones. Um, but... This has to be up there. Um, great tournament, just one goalless draw. And every game featured goals or even lots of goals. Uh, great entertainment, great players emerging and you know, England doing well, Belgium doing well. You know. um, and a high-scoring final. High-scoring first match as well, which is quite rare. Yes. So it's, it was really raining goals over Russia and uh, the whole tournament passed by without incident because previously people were worried about you know, uh, hooliganism. But in the end, I think it's a big coming-out party for Russia. There's always a but. And the big but is it's probably the end of Messi and Ronaldo. Uh, so these two guys uh, who monopolised the Ballon d'Or. You know? Especially sad for Messi as well, who was a lone man on that pitch. At least Ronaldo can bow out saying that uh, he was a European champion. But Messi, you know, I mean, since the day um, he, he shot the stardom, uh, there's always the inevitable Maradona comparisons. So, and the World Cup has always been the stick to beat him with. No? Uh, yeah, he has won uh, Champions League, you know, La Liga, and uh, God knows how many Ballon d'Or. So. But the World Cup has always been a thing that, you know, even though Maradona never won the European Cup, was, I think... You know, one significantly less than Messi, but Maradona is still much more uh, well-loved in Argentina. And I think it doesn't help, you know, that you couldn't see much joy in Messi's play. He looked like, you know, he had the weight of the world on his shoulders. Were you happy with the eventual winners? 
Uh, actually, I was happy that in the way, uh, in in the sense that football won. Yeah, uh, I was pretty much a neutral. I wasn't cheering for any particular team, uh, and I was just glad that you know, uh, it was a four-two game. You know, it was raining goals and it was raining out of the game. But it would have been nice for Croatia to. Uh, yeah, that would be a fairy tale because um, everybody loves uh, an underdog story. Yeah, but um, I think France were just too good for them, and I think Croatia just they didn't have the legs because every, almost every game went into extra time or even penalties for them. Yeah, so they just didn't have the legs to match France in the yeah. final. Oh well, a bittersweet moment for that. Nicole, what's your number three? My number three are the Silat World Championships that recently concluded at the OCBC Arena. Oh, cool. It's for the same reason as, you know, that Halep is one of my top highlights for the year because I was really impressed by the resilience that our athletes showed, especially people like Iqbal Rahman, who had tried four four times before to win a world title but fell short and Nurul Suhaila who lost to the same opponent twice at previous world championships but this time you know defeated her and went on to win the world title so I mean it's this sort of resilience because I wasn't really familiar with their stories before but after talking to them after they won their respective bouts and, and titles you know when you see that happening right in front of you and it's so close it, it just shows that you know, even Singapore athletes have what it takes to, to be mentally strong and losing to the same opponent twice before at important stages of a world championship doesn't mean that you can't beat them, you know, third time lucky, doesn't mean that you're doomed to lose to them forever. Have you seen a, a rise in the popularity of Silla here? I can't speak for recent years, but I was impressed with the crowd at the OCBC Arena this year because, you know, they were not there were people not just cheering for Singapore's Silat exponents, but there were also Indonesian fans, Malaysian fans who came and, you know, they, they brought drums. And if you bring drums, you mean business. I feel there may be some kind of knock-on effect from the rise of uh, MMA and things like that, an interest in uh, more uh, esoteric uh, martial arts, yeah, that there that may be some kind of, you know, rise in interest. I think that's what the Silat Federation is trying to achieve because at the World Championships this time in Singapore, they organise fringe activities also. So for all the martial arts to, to come together and have like, like exhibition booths on display. So I think President Halima came down to visit on one of the days to, to have a look. And maybe, maybe Singaporeans didn't know much about Silat before, but of course with it being held in Singapore, there's greater visibility and with the Silat exponents winning so much, you know, and they, I think they know how to market themselves on social media well. So that would definitely gain them more fans and a, hopefully a bigger following. Yeah. yeah, sorry to interrupt, but you know, she mentioned about never giving up, you know. So that brings me back to Mourinho. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, very interesting stat. Um, three times he got sacked uh, after losing the club uh, while he was manager of Real Madrid, while he was manager of Chelsea, and while he's manager of United. He got sacked each time he lost the club. So, uh, come on, Jose, you know, you can do it. <laughs> That's an amazing stat. And now I'm back to Silat. <laughs> <laughs> well, those are the highlights. What about the lowlights? What's, what's the major disappointment of the year? Nicole, what's the, what was your worst sporting moment of 2018? Um, without a doubt, the US Open Women's Final between Serena Williams and Naomi Osaka because it had all the makings of such a beautiful story to tell. You know, young young teenager, you know, beating her idol on 
sports grander stage, but no, it was overshadowed by an outburst that, in my opinion, shouldn't have happened. And this outburst also wasn't managed by those who had the authority and ability to manage it. And as a result, you know... Totally yeah. overshadowed. Yes, Naomi Osaka's moment was taken away because she said that she still looks back to that moment and has bittersweet feelings about it. And that's not what you should be feeling about your first grandson. I think that's then. a very polite yeah. way of putting it. Yeah, well, she was raised right and she is Japanese, so... Yeah, polite to the end. I guess one possible silver lining, if you could call it that, is is that, you know, the discussion, it, it sparked after that. You know, everybody was weighing in, everybody had an opinion, not all of which I agree with, but at least people were talking about it and, you know, people, even people who didn't know about tennis. Meng, what's your worst moment? I wouldn't call it, like, worst per se, but it was more like... Um, Tinge on jealousy, you know, when you know, I, I see how successful the Thai footballers are in, uh, doing overseas. So how I wish uh, one or two of our local boys can do the same you know, and be successful playing overseas. You know. uh, I was referring to the Thai Messi. You know, the, the Thai have this little boy, you know, his name is Chanatip, and he, he, he was uh, voted in the J-League team of the year. And their first choice goalkeeper is now playing first team football in Belgium. Yeah. So how I wish you know uh, a couple of our national players you know, can make the brave step, you know, uh, fight homesickness and you know go overseas and and earn earn a, uh, and get good contracts over there, you know, because um, it's quite clear that you, know, you we are not going to progress that much, you know, playing in our own backyard. So I really do hope uh, a couple of our boys can go and. Please don't come back. And actually, I mean it in a nice way, you know. <laughs> yeah, but just go, you know, fight homesickness and, you know, do Singapore football proud. Yeah. Well, Meng, Nicole, thank you very much for joining me. Do follow us through 2019 for a grand year of sport. And of course, read what Meng and Nicole have to say at straightstimes.com and in Straits Times, the print product as well. And if you're listening on iTunes or Google Podcasts, do rate and review. Be generous. Until then from a game of two halves. Goodbye. That was an SPH podcast. Find us on iTunes, Google Podcasts and streaming on Google Home. Do send your feedback to podcast at sph.com.sg. You can also check out more podcasts on various topics at straightstimes.com and bt.sg.